Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. So Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fall on them again, Father, and that you would rise up this word that you have in them this morning, and it would flow freely from them, Lord. Lord, I'm going to give the Lord permission to do something. I hope it's okay. Um, (laughs) Father, just to bring your power this morning, whatever it is that's on these pages before them, Lord, we give you permission to use it or not use it, just that they would sing your tune this this morning, Lord God. They would give us your word. And Lord, that you'd give us uh, receiving hearts for what they have to say, Lord Mm. God. Holy Spirit, fill us up this morning, Lord, with their words and speak right into our spirits this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Bless you guys. Thank you. Now, um, I imagine you all think that we're forgetting something today. I'm wondering how many of you are sitting there going, are they actually going to say Happy Mother's Day? Are they actually going to mention it? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day? <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a reason why we've kind of kept it to this point um, of the service. But Happy Mother's Day to all mothers in all different ways and shapes and sizes and not sizes as in sizes but you know what I mean expressions that's probably a better word um if you've been at Northridge for a while you'll know that uh, on Mother's Day we like to take the opportunity actually to honor all our women because we recognize that as women um we bring that mother heart whatever life stage wherever we are as women Married, single, kids, no kids, older, younger, all, all women. Um, and, we, um, and we just, we love women. And we know that God has an incredible heart for women. You just need to look through the scriptures and how Jesus engages with women and speaks to women and raises women up. Um, and so we're going to take a little bit of a time this morning just to talk through that, um, but we were also conscious that we, you know, if we look at society and we look at the world at the moment, there seems to be a real attack on women, um, and not just far afield, in our own backyard. Um, I don't know, there's just a couple of stats that I've got from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, and I think there's a slide for this, but in New South Wales, an intimate, intimate partner violence causes more illness, disability, and death than any other risk factor for women aged 25 to 44. And in Australia, on average, one woman is killed every nine days by a current or former partner. They're quite sobering statistics in our own country, and we particularly consider ourselves progressive, don't we? And so we can kind of maybe in our heads understand it in other places, but it's here. And yet we know we have a God who values women so highly, who respects them and loves them. 
And we want to, I want to say on the outset that as we do this talk, we are not taking aim at anyone, particularly. This is not, we're not trying to be political, we're not trying to attack anyone, we're not trying to point fingers at anyone. What we want to do this morning is we want to kick off an honest conversation, an honest um, look at scriptures. Because while we know that God has an incredible heart for women and has treated women and treats women with the utmost respect, and particularly Jesus through scripture, we know that as a church we have not always led the way in this. And so for that, we are truly sorry. I know that for some women watching online, even here today, that you have been really hurt in church. You've been hurt by some of the things that have been told to you or said to you. And for that, we want to say sorry. We know that some of these views and some of these um, uh, sort of ideas come from scripture passages that are tricky. We know that it's not straightforward. We don't want to stand here this morning and go, we have it all sorted. We've got it all done. This is exactly, you know, what we got wrong. This is the right interpretation. We're not saying that. What we want to say this morning is that God loves it when we take those, the tough, tricky scriptures in the Bible and we wrestle through them. Um, it's interesting, you know, if you look at the story of Jacob, right in the beginning of the Old Testament, Jacob wrestles with God, and out of that, the nation of Israel is born. This idea of coming and wrestling with God, wrestling with things that we don't quite understand or that don't quite make sense is very biblical and very much who we are as the people of God. And so we want to invite you this morning to come and wrestle with us on some of these trickier passages. We don't want to be a church that ignores the hard bits or because they don't quite seem to fit, we just kind of keep going in the way we think is right and just pretend those, you know, aren't there. We actually want to lean in because we know that as we wrestle and we lean in, there's a depth of understanding that comes and a richness that comes. But also there's a way that God connects us together as we wrestle together. It seems that God is not so worried about us getting things wrong. But rather, he wants us to keep going to him and seeking him with a humble and teachable heart. And so that's what we want to do this morning. Come with humble and teachable hearts. We know for some sitting here or watching that, uh, you know, maybe the people around you are asking lots of questions. Oh, you go to a church where you have female leaders leadership, in leadership. Um, and you feel like you don't quite have an answer. So we want to start to equip you. Um, Give you, we've got some resources and some ideas, and um, sorry, some resources that we've been looking at. We know for others that there's some of you who are wrestling that yourself. You know some of those passages in Scripture, and you kind of you're, you're, you, it's your own personal wrestle. And so we hope that this would begin a journey 
um, of finding how God sees you and what God is saying to you and saying to us in Scripture. But our deepest heart is that we would be reconciled men and women and that we would work together in unity to build God's kingdom as we go forward. And so, uh, Rob, <laughs> I'm going to hand over to you now. So, should we get into some of the scripture that Bonnie keeps alluding to, shall we? Um, I get the fun part. Uh, because, uh, we, like Bonnie said, there is, there is a bit of an elephant in the room sometimes when we talk about women. And, uh, and we just want to kind of get it out there a little bit. Um, there's a few passages that we could be looking at this morning. Um, but we're going to look at 1 Timothy 2. So if you have a Bible, do open up to 1 Timothy 2. Uh, we could be looking at 1 Corinthians 14 or uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Um, there's lots, there's, well, not lots. There's actually just a, a handful of scriptures that make this quite, um, this whole issue a bit con- controversial. <clears throat> but we won't look at those today. And if you want to come and have a chat about some of those verses, um, we'd love to just have a have a good discussion on them at another time. But let's look at 1 Timothy 2. I'll just quickly open up as well. <clears throat> and we're going to read that together. And the words, I think, should be on that next slide, even if I, it takes me a while to find it here. Um, and we're going to read it in the NIV. I'm pretty sure that's the NIV version there. Okay, so we're going to read from verses 8 through to 15, through to the end. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer, without anger or disputing. I also want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. As I read that, I thought to myself, I don't think I've ever heard that read out in church, ever. Certainly not by a man. I don't think, what am I doing here? So pray for me, or just throw something at me if you like. Because at face value, it does seem like Paul here writing to Timothy and the church, especially in Ephesus, uh, is saying... Well, a couple of really quite controversial things, difficult things, especially. Um, and, you know, you'll know our position on this, given that Bonnie is speaking this morning. So uh, it's, it's not something that hopefully you should be scratching your head at. But you might be scratching your head at going, what? OK, so what do we do with these verses? Because in the first instance, it, it seems like Paul is saying women should never teach or lead in the church. Uh, The context of these verses, he's talking about church life. Um, He doesn't necessarily mean he's talking specifically about the gathering, but many people do uh, interpret that as as that's the context in which he's speaking about. But at the very least, 
he's talking about church life, and he, he gives some reasons there that, that are hard to contextualize. They seem very absolute. And, uh, and in particular, he points to God making Eve um, after Adam. And, uh, and I guess I just wanted to throw some, um, uh, not some light, almost the opposite, some, some questions out there, some things for us to wrestle with um, on this passage. Because um, one of the things, and I think there's a slide for this, one of the things that we come across as we look through especially Paul's letters is um, many examples of women who ministered with Paul. Uh, especially if you turn to Romans 16, we won't read through that now, but you'll see a number of names listed there. If you go through the book of Acts and you look at the way that Paul um, ministered, you'll come across leaders such as Phoebe, uh, Junior, Clement. Um, we have um, a number of leaders who were church leaders uh, and, and, like I say, fellow missionaries with Paul and who he clearly not just valued because they were people, but valued as fellow uh, workers in the gospel with him. Um, we also we also see Paul mentioned a couple of different times. Uh, Paul uh, uh, women speaking out in church. So uh, we have that uh, example of women prophesying in church, especially in one Corinthians fourteen. So Paul is expecting them to speak out. Even in this passage, he talks about women learning, which initially we think. Well, that sounds terrible, learning in quietness, submission. That doesn't sound very inspiring. But in that context, Paul is saying women who you were not expected to be educated in the word of God, be educated in the word of God. Learn the scriptures. And, um, and he, he wouldn't just be saying that for fun. He's expecting women to step into a role of ministering the gospel. So there's... Um, there's some head scratching going on as we look at some of that. If we can just get that slide back again. Thank you. Um, and in particular, uh, this is a fascinating one, where we come across Apollos. Some of you may remember Acts 18. Apollos is uh, similar to Paul. He's going around. He's a Jewish man, very eloquent, um, a great speaker, great communicator. But he doesn't really know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's only heard about the baptism of John, which is a baptism of repentance. And so he's speaking and uh, we're told um, wife and husband first, Priscilla and Aquila, take him aside and teach him a better way and explain to him the fullness of the gospel. And so the writer of Acts, um, Luke, is very intent on mentioning Priscilla first. And so we have... Uh, in that context, we have a woman there teaching and correcting a man, um, and, and not just any man, a significant speaker and leader in the, in the church at the time. So it's, perhaps it's not quite so straightforward as women shouldn't be speaking in the church, which, which, uh, or women shouldn't be teaching in the church. And I wanted to bring up the verse and have a look at some of the words as well, because <clears throat> this passage is ex exceptionally difficult to translate. And I think one of the things that we need to be really aware of as we study the Bible is that there are a bunch of choices that Bible translators are making um, for us. And, uh, and, and we need to be aware of some of those choices because we believe that the Bible is inerrant. 
in its original form and meaning. But that doesn't necessarily mean the way that each of those Greek or Hebrew words and understandings have been translated is exactly the way that God has it for us to understand. And so there is, there is an understanding of the translation process is important that as we look at these verses. Um, if we can have that slide up with those. We're going to look at just verses 11 to 14. Are you with me? You're up for doing a little bit of Bible study? Is that okay? Good on you. Well done. So remember, this is written in Greek. Not that, but, you know, the original is written in Greek. <clears throat> and I just wanted to point out a couple of things. One is that the word for woman there, both in verse 11 and 12, is exactly the same word for wife. Okay, so the Bible translators have chosen to use the word woman, but they could easily just as chosen to use the word wife. And how do you make that choice? Well, you're trying to read what you think is the context of the passage. But that's not always so easy. And the same with man and husband, exactly the same word. So you could, you could translate that either way. So I'm not going to start talking about marriage this morning, but I want us to just be aware that there are a couple of different contexts that these verses could be speaking into. And there's a bit of a wrestle. And then also this, this very difficult word you'll see at the end of that second line, exercise authority over. That word, which I won't try and uh, uh, pronounce in Greek because I'm not a Greek scholar, that word only occurs once in the Bible. This is the only time. It's very, very hard for Bible translators to know quite what to do with this word. But what we do know is that it is a type of authority that is taken up, not given. So some translations say, to usurp authority, to take an authority that isn't really yours to take, um, or to lord over, or to dominate. Never does this word, it, it, it comes up in Aristotle and some other Greek manuscripts, but never does this word end up being a good thing. When you do this, there isn't benevolent things that come out from it. This isn't the kind of authority that a parent has over their children. This is the kind of authority that's taken and as a result, not good things are coming from it. And so we've got to be careful when we read this passage that we don't in our heads go, I don't permit a woman to have authority over a man because a man should have that authority over a woman. That's not what Paul is implying there because he wouldn't use that word to describe the authority that a man has over a woman. All right, does that make sense? So those, if we can have those verses up again, those that's important that we understand that there is um, something else going on here. And this is not as clear-cut as it perhaps seems. Um, some commentators, and let me at this point just recommend a resource that we've been looking at. Um, thank you, you can help that. You may want to see this on the screen as well. This is a fantastic book called Paul and Gender um, by Cynthia Long Westfall. What a great name. Um, this is a good, uh, uh, what's the word? Fairly comprehensive, uh, fairly theological, if you're up for some slightly tougher reading, um, resource on, uh, she calls it Reclaiming Paul's Vision for Men and Women in Christ. So it's a big area, but she has a whole three chapters just on these verses. Um, and I'd encourage you to have a look at this. It's very helpful. Um, and very balanced in its approach. Um, 
But one of the things that you may be aware of already, or you may not, is that many commentators will point to a particular cult that is, um, seems that there be some evidence for this in Ephesus at the time when Paul was writing. That was um, encouraging women to effectively dominate over their husbands in a number of ways. Um, and in particular, holding back uh, childbearing which might give us some clues in this second part. But there, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of different ideas there, and it's worth reading up about that and, and having a look at what could be the context of these verses and hopefully um, settling some of these questions in our minds, which I'm not going to attempt to do for everyone this morning. Let's have a look at the second part, okay? Um, because this is really weird. All right, verse 15 it seems that Paul is saying a couple of things, which is one, it looks like he's saying the origin of sin is, is woman's fault. The way that he talks about Eve sinning first and being deceived, but not Adam, is very strange for us. We know that Adam, that it, you know, the, the serpent deceived Eve, but we never read that story in Genesis 3 and go, oh, like, Eve, why did you have to do that? Adam was just doing so well. Like, it's clear that there's a shared sense of responsibility. And, and we read Paul writing this in Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all people because all sinned. And if you know that passage, what he does then is he describes how Adam brought sin into the world, and through that one man, Christ, takes it out of the world to an extent, deals with that sin and death. Nowhere in there does he mention Eve, and nowhere is it kind of, you know, he's trying to work around these hoops. So there's, there's, um, there's some challenging things there, and I, I won't carry on because there's lots of other examples where Paul talks about sin and it being clearly all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then this other weird thing here where he says, and women shall be saved through childbearing. Okay, so does that mean that the hope for salvation for women is through having children? Praise God, that is not the case. Clearly, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. And that's to women too. This is not your, there's nothing you can do to make that happen. Having more children will do nothing for your salvation so that no one may boast. No one can say, well, I'm a, I'm a mother. In that time, I mean, might, we might not say that today, but, you know, Leah, for example, Jacob's wife, I'm the one who had the children, lots of children. And so she boasted in that, whereas Rachel couldn't. God doesn't work that way. That's not how salvation works. So let's look and I'm coming into land with some of this word study. Let's look lastly at this verse 15 and have a think about some of the words that are used there. Because let me just say before we do that, people are often reactive one way or another. It's quite a polarizing passage, as you can tell. And we don't want to kind of do either of these. So some folk, what we'll do is simply stop women teaching in church without asking hard questions about these verses and why they don't line up to other scriptures. When I was at university, I remember we, we 
I was I had the pleasure one year of leading the Christian group there, about 300 students. They didn't have women speaking to these students. And when we looked at why that was, they really because they said, well, it says that in the Bible. And that was it. We didn't really wrestle through that. And um, so we had a good look at that at the time. But it, it, to me, it was just baffling. And um, so you can do that. You can just sort of go, you know what? It says in the Bible, we don't really understand why, but we're going to stop women teaching. Or you can do the other thing, and we, we don't want you guys to do this at all. And that is just to ignore these passages and go, they're just too hard. And, we, and it just seems so offensive to not have women speaking and leading. So we're just going to ignore these parts of the Bible that are hard. And we're not, we don't want to do that either. We, we love and revere and honor the Word of God. And we want to live our lives according to it. So let's have a quick look at this um, verse 15. Again, we, we've got some Greek words that are hard here. Um, yet women, which is actually much more closely just translated she. Okay, so there's Bible translators seem to be applying this to all women. But the Greek is she. We're not quite sure who the she is. Um, it could be the wife that was talked about in the earlier verses. It might not be at all. Um, this word here will be saved. Who knows the word sozo? Yeah, you know that word? It's a great word because it refuses to allow us to split the sacred and the secular, or the physical and the spiritual. The word sozo means rescue, deliver, save, and it can mean to protect or preserve. It doesn't just mean your soul goes to heaven. It means heal and and kind of save in terms of, oh, I just saved you as you fell off the stage. Kind of, I'm, I'm holding you. And here we've got this word used again. She will be saved or rescued or protected or preserved through childbearing. And uh, you can see how that gets a little bit trickier when you start realizing there's a lot of other words that we could use there. And the last thing here is, and this is quite important. Because often when people read this passage, they go, he's talking about mothering. And that's not the word that's used. The word that's used for childbearing is literally childbirth. So if you took these verses very literally without really thinking about why, they're why it's so difficult, you might say, well, women are okay as long as they start giving birth in church. And we, we know, I don't think Paul wanted women giving birth in church services. That's not, gonna, that's not what he's talking about. So, but that is the word he uses, is the giving of birth. Are you with me? Are you okay? Doing well. Thank you for your attention. It's, these are not easy things. And I, I guess part of what Bonnie and I are trying to avoid the temptation to just, particularly as a guy, because I really struggle with this, to just not answer the question. In fact, I'm kind of doing the opposite. I'm trying to create more. Because that's actually what these verses should do. They should cause us to wrestle and question. And not necessarily just, I don't, we don't want you to walk away with doubt. But if you don't wrestle with Scripture and, and, and find a place where we can trust the Lord with the unanswered questions, then your faith, it's not deep enough. And we want to grow deeper in our faith. The roots need to go deeper. I was even, can I say, um, 
I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way. We have some wonderfully uh, mature Christians of, of mature age in our congregation. And, uh, and they're such an encouragement to me personally. And one of the things I was explaining to one of our young people, it may have even been our own children the other day, was that the older you get, the less you know. And they kind of just looked at me like, that doesn't make sense. I'm like, yeah, but that's what happens. The older you get, it feels like the less you know. And I've learned that from older folk in our congregation. There is a humility that comes as you recognize that the world is a lot harder and grayer. And even the word of God is difficult to understand. And so that is the place that we're coming at. We're not trying to bash down faith. We're trying to grow in our humility. Okay, so... Um, I'm going to skip on because that's enough of that. Um, just a couple of other resources. Let me recommend to you. Rich Nathan is um, a senior. Well, he's just sat down. But he was being the senior pastor of pretty much the largest vineyard church in the world, um, Columbus, Ohio. And he's written papers. He's preached on this a lot. He's got some great videos <clears throat> about understanding these verses in particular and women leadership in general. Rich Nathan, I'd really encourage you to check him out if you haven't listened to some of his stuff. I know many of you love N.T. Wright, and I would recommend some of his resources on that. Um, and, uh, and like I say, this, this book, Paul and Gender. Let me um, come into land before I hand it to Bon on what we do believe about speaking and leading in this church. Um, firstly, we weigh up as leaders, we weigh up whether people should teach and lead at church based solely on calling, gifting, and character. It's quite simple. Calling, gifting, and character. Is God calling that person to speak and minister in this way? Has he gifted them? And do they have the character to carry that gifting? And check out Romans 11, talking about God's gift and call. Um, we believe that both men and women are open to receive the full array of God's gifts. So we don't think that being a woman means that you can only receive these certain kinds of gifts. We don't, we don't think that. We each have different gifts according to the grace given us. Paul says, if it's teaching, women, teach. Men, teach. If it's leading, lead diligently. And lastly, we don't see marriage as a prerequisite for that. Either for men or for women, because we know that God uses singleness just as much marriage to shape our characters and prepare us for ministry. And, you know, Paul talks about this himself. He says, I wish that you were single like me. <laughs> but... Each of you has your own gift from God. So that marriage single scenario is a gift from God, even if it doesn't feel like it some of the time. Um, <clears throat> at a deeper level, there have been, am I saying this right? Misogynistic, does that? Misogynistic, thank you. I've written it down and I've gone blank on the... There have been misogynistic beliefs ingrained in society for generations that the church hasn't challenged. And I want to go so far as to say in silencing women in the church 
we've missed the opportunity to root those things out of the church. We've tried our best as guys, but we need women to, to do it with us, to root out some of the stuff that doesn't come from the Bible, that comes from ancient religions and pagan beliefs that basically encourage women, encourage violence towards women. Uh, that, that say things like women are more fallible and more easily tempted than men, that women are shallow or more prone to worldly distractions. These things that kind of like weave their way into society and sit behind so much of this domestic violence that we see. And, it's, and we, like Ronnie said, we need to root that out. But we also believe that you know, here at Northridge, we have some excellent female Bible teachers and leaders. And we're honored to have them teach us. And we recognize that with women teaching and leading in the church, it actually helps us understand, both men and women, understand significant implications of Jesus' teaching. Lastly, before I hand to Bond, I want to just recommend this book to you. This is Walter Wink, The Powers That Be. Um, he says this, Jesus treated women as he did, not because he was gallant or nice, but because of the restoration of women to their full humanity in partnership with men is integral to the coming of God's kingdom on earth. Integral. And that's um, kind of where we want to land before we go into a time of ministry is reminding ourselves that God is, God's intention was always for both men and women to be his hands and his feet, to bring the good news of Jesus, to equip the saints, to be his image bearers. We're both called men and women. Um, as I as we've been praying about this and sort of preparing it over the last couple of weeks, um, I just sensed the Lord wanted to speak something over us as a, um, as a church around this. And so I'm wondering if you would stand with me. Um, and I'm just, I'm just going to speak. This was kind of in my journal one day, and I just sensed the Lord speaking. And so I'm just going to speak this over us. There is a new season coming, one where men and women come together to bring the fullness of my kingdom in homes and in communities. A new generation who won't fight each other, but will unify and come together to fight the enemy who is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeing who he can devour. All my soldiers are needed. I have called and equipped each and every one of them. Don't get caught up in the nuances of authority. All the way through scripture, I use the unlikely people, the ones that people underestimate or dismiss. 
I don't see as you see. I look beyond the obvious. I am not about rules and regulations. I am about relationships and restoring humanity to me. And as I was reflecting on this, I just sensed that there is a long road ahead behind the scenes of raising this new generation to love and honour all people. Our heart is that men would find their voice and their place so that they are not responding out of insecurity or shame. And that women would know who they are and that they are loved and valued and called. Amen. Would you mind sitting again? Thank you. Now, it's tradition um, at Northridge, and we, we, we felt we um, would hold this to the end of the service because it kind of felt appropriate um, as with what we were speaking on. Um, it's tradition at Northridge that we give our women uh, a rose uh, to honour them um, and to give, in a really practical and tangible way, God's love um, and his heart for women sort of expressed in giving a flower. Um, and I was, you know, I was just thinking about it. Um, you know, a white rose is very much a, a kind of a sense of hope and respect um, and love. And just a way for us to demonstrate and show God's respect and love to the women around. So if you're a woman this morning, a woman, <laughs> would you mind standing? And we've got some lovely uh, gentlemen who are going to be handing out some roses. Ladies online, I'm so sorry we don't have, we can't do it like this. But uh, in our hearts, we're giving out roses <laughs> to you as well. Um, and I was thinking about this kind of uh, giving of rose, roses, and I was asking the Lord, like, what does he want to speak over um, us as women um, as we kind of accept them and, and as we take them? And the verse in Zephaniah 3 came to mind. And so I'm just going to read that over us. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a warrior who can deliver. He takes great delight in you. He renews you by his love. He shouts for joy over you. In other translations, he says, he rejoices over you with singing. So we'd love to pray for you ladies now. Lord, we thank you. And guys, you may just just stay where you are, but do feel free to just stretch out a hand towards them. That'd be great. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for these sisters of ours. Lord, we thank you for them. They are your children. They are precious to you. Lord, we just um, we thank you for the way that you made them. Each different, but each with that 
unique expression of femininity. Lord, I thank you that is God-given. We just proclaim that that is good and um, what is needed in this world, um, along with our masculinity. We just declare that um, God-given element in you, ladies. That that would be held with um, just a deep appreciation. Well, we ask, Lord, that for the fullness and of, of the restoration of each of these ladies here, that you would lead them into the full potential of who you've made them to be, and that there would be no fear and no shame. We speak that off them now in Jesus' name. We thank you for all that you have for them. We say yes, Lord, to your plans. Yes and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen.